Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, when I looked at the scriptures this particular Sunday, as I was reading through the various options to preach on, I got fixated on one word. And so that's really what the sermon's going to be about, and eventually I'll tell you what that word is. But I want to talk about just words in general in our culture. You know, it's interesting because depending upon what circles you're talking about, who you're listening to, whether you're listening to the media, whether you're listening to the world, the culture, whether you're listening to a preacher, depending upon who it is and what they're saying, words have different nuances and meanings in different spheres. I don't know if you're aware of that. And there are words that are used in the church sometimes that we make assumptions that everybody knows what it is we're talking about. And that's not always true. Let me give you an example that I talk about every new members class that I've taught since I've been here. And I've mentioned it once or twice from the pulpit. And the word, when we say the word, we say it all the time in the church. But do we really know what the word means? And the word is holy. Do you really know what the word holy means? We talk about, you know, the holy scriptures and the Holy Spirit, and we say holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? I just heard it back here. But I'm not going to tell you what it means. Because I want you to think about it. And if you don't know, you can ask me. Or you can listen to my new members class. But the word holy is one of those words we just don't always pay attention to what we're saying. How about the word love? Think about how many different contexts you use the word love. Right? I love pizza. I love a particular movie. I love golf. I got someone preaching in my ear back here. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my dog. Sometimes people love their dog more than they love their wife. You know, but we talk about words like that, and in different spheres and nuances, they mean different things. And even sometimes we use the same word, and there's such a variety of meaning. Let me throw one at you, and I risk offending some of you, but I'm going to use it anyway, just so you understand where I'm coming from when I hear. When you hear the word, the phrase, Making love. Are you really making love? I mean, think about another phrase that we use in the church. God is love. So are we making God? Some people are in some ways. And love isn't always love. Sometimes it's just out and out lust. And yet we throw that term around, and I hear that term thrown around all the time on television. Do we understand, do we pause and say, what are we really saying? What do we really mean by that? And understand it. Because we use words in the church all the time. 
that we just pass over or that we use flippantly, that we really don't think about, we don't spend any time with. And yet words have power and words have meaning and words have force, especially when we take them seriously. The word that I focused on and will focus on for this sermon is the word faith. Especially because of the reading in Hebrews chapter 11. It's known as, some of you know this, the faith chapter. And what you see in in Hebrews chapter 11, over and over again, Hebrews talks about different various teachings about God and faith and Jesus. And then it comes to chapter 11 where you have this list of saints of the Old Testament. Faithful people. People such as Enoch and Noah and Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you see this list going on and on. And these were not, by the way, perfect people. That's one of the reasons I appreciate Scripture and the fact that they use these various people as examples. And we'll get to that in a minute. But it's because they sought after the Lord. They sought to be faithful. But Hebrews chapter 11 has, if you will, two chapters bracketing it. Almost like bookends on either side. You've got in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about faith. And then you've got another reference at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10 first. Two verses. First of all, verse 22 says, Let us approach with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. So notice what faith is driving at here. And we have full assurance of our faith so that we have this clean conscience, so that we're washed and cleansed. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So we don't waver in that faith because God himself is faithful. And you want to see what a picture of faith looks like? Look at God. Look at Jesus. He shows what it means to be faithful. And once again, we talk lightly about being like Jesus or what would Jesus do. But if you want a picture, he is faithful. God is faithful. So that begins to give you an idea. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. Understand the impact of that. If we're going to be righteous, like Jesus is the righteous one of God, then we live by faith. Faith is our driving force. Faith is what gives us life, and we'll return to that as well. But then you get to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all these people that are listed in Hebrews 11, the people that are faithful. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now you're getting the full impact, the full picture. He's the pioneer. He's the one that led the life first. He's the one that paid for our faith, if you will, on the cross. Because he died in our place for our sin. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter. You want to see what faith looks like? He lived the perfect life. So you've got Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So that's what faith looks like. Who for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. That he took upon ourself, himself, our sin. See, in these saints that are talked about, that you heard read in Hebrews chapter 11, they are examples of faith, not because they were perfect. In fact, if you look at these people down through the centuries, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you look at the people we refer to as saints down through history, no one was perfect. See, the difference, though, of someone who seeks to walk by faith is when they fall short, when they falter, when they struggle, they repent. They don't try to justify, they don't try to rationalize, they don't try to come up with their own set of beliefs or system of faith. They hear what God's Word says. And they repent. They say, Lord, I was wrong. I failed. I sinned. I need you. That's what makes these people in Hebrews 11 people of faith and models for us. So with that idea and that picture of what faith is, I want to talk about first and foremost what faith is not. Because we hear the term used even in our culture. What faith is not. First of all, faith is not an intellectual fact. Faith is not merely intellectually acknowledging. It's not intellectual assent to the fact that God exists. Because faith is so much more than that. There are people all the time who say, well, I believe in God. But the question is, what does that mean? That it's, it's a fact that God exists, and therefore I recognize He's there? Or is it more than that? Because an intellectual fact is not going to necessarily change your life. An acknowledgement that God exists isn't necessarily going to change your life and have an impact in your life. You know, I get into conversations all the time with people who say, I believe, or I have faith, or I'm spiritual. And I love to flesh out when people say that, what they mean by that. For example, I had a guy in my office that sometimes I have to measure whether I can say certain things to certain people. But I had a guy in my office who was talking to me about someone else and said to me, well, they're spiritual. And I looked at the person and I said, well, Satan is spiritual too. Think about it. Satan is a spiritual being. And we throw this out as if it's really nice to say about someone and that, you know, it's, it's an affirmation that they have some kind of faith or some kind of belief system. The reality is we're all spiritual beings. We all have been created with souls. So to say that someone is spiritual is to say that someone is human. Because we're all spiritual, we're all spiritual beings. The question is, what are you doing with your spirit? Where does that spirit reside? That's the question. When you say you believe in God, what kind of God do you believe in? Is it God as who He is, or God that you've made up? When you say, I believe, what do you believe? 
See, because if it's not this kind of faith that we're hearing about in Scripture, that we see in the life of Jesus, then it may just be an intellectual assent. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I'm spiritual. But it may mean very little or nothing at all. Some people, when they say they believe or they have faith, it's kind of half-hearted or lukewarm. You know what I mean by that? It's like if it's convenient, if it's easy, if it doesn't upset my, my system, if it doesn't upset my schedule, if it allows me to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so they're really lukewarm about faith. And let me read to you one of the scriptures that talks about being half-hearted or lukewarm. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. And back in Jesus' day, that meant you're blessed. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you, to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen. And you heard both last week and this week in the gospel Jesus talking about treasure. The treasure in this world, if that's what you're living for, is empty and it's temporary. That the treasure that God is looking for is that treasure that lasts for all eternity. So when we think we're blessed, we think we're rich in this life, but we don't have a faith, we're poor. When we think we're we're righteous because we're self-righteous apart from God, we're actually in sin and rebellion. When we're trying to justify and rationalize ourselves, Because we want to live in sin. We've missed a point. That's what he's saying. He doesn't want people that are lukewarm. He wants people hot for him. And we use that term in a variety of ways too. But when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit came with fire. He wants people that are Alive for Him. And have an alive relationship with Him. That kind of fire. That kind of passion. You know, Scripture I left out of the last point. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe in and shudder. Because their belief is intellectual. They know God. But they don't love God. That's the kind of heat and passion that He wants in our relationship with Him. Faith is not merely a religion. You know, people love to talk about what religion are you? Well, religion sometimes means, what do you do habitually? What do you do dutifully? 
I mean, there's a lot of things I do religiously that have nothing to do with my faith. It's just my daily routine. It's just my habits. See, if that's all faith is to you, it's just habit, routine, duty. It really doesn't mean anything. You just go through the motions. That's not what God's after. God's not after a system of morals or ethical values. Living a holy life comes out of that passion for the Lord. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you understand faith, the kind of faith that Jesus lived, the kind of passion he had for his Father, that what happens is that moral life, that ethical life that so many people are looking for and think is the right thing, the religious thing to do, actually comes out of the relationship with the Lord when we understand walking by faith. That we grow in that walk with Him, we grow in the knowledge and love of Him, we grow in the knowledge of His Word, and that holiness, that righteousness becomes a part of our life because we're being filled with the Holy Spirit every day. That we're not seeking merely to be moral people. You can be moral people without faith in the Lord. This is not about a religion. There are religions that do not believe in God. There are religions about earning your way to heaven. Or at least so they would say. Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sin. He earned our salvation. We're not earning our way to heaven. We're trusting in Him. We're walking with Him. And then our lives are transformed. So when people sometimes around me say religion, I kind of twitch a little bit. Because what I'm really looking for is faith. And a live faith. There's so many other things that faith is not, but I want to move to what faith is. What faith is first and foremost, it's a gift. It comes by grace. That's why Jesus died for you. It comes by grace. It's something we can't do for ourselves. That's why we needed a Savior. It's a gift. And all we need to do is receive the gift with open arms. And when you receive a gift, by the way, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to open it so you can really appreciate it. You're supposed to use the gift in your life. That's the design of our faith. That faith is first and foremost a gift to be used for our lives. Secondly, faith is a relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus said. It's a relationship. It's not just a thought. It's not just a fact. It's a relationship. When Peter failed, when he denied Jesus and he walked out weeping and then Jesus was reunited after the resurrection and Peter now is seeking to believe again and he wants to be right with the Lord. And Jesus knows it, so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, do you believe in God? Peter? I want you to be spiritual. No, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? 
Because when you understand the full impact of the cross, and you understand that's what he wants in return, when you understand that really when we talk about the law, the commandments, that really what we have is guidance as to what love looks like. But what God wants from us is love. Not the kind of love that we hear talked about in so many realms and so many ways in our world. The kind of love that we read of in 1 Corinthians 13. The kind of love that we see Jesus on the cross laying down his life. That kind of love. That's what gives the fullness of faith. That's what faith brings to our lives. That kind of love that Jesus lived. Faith is commitment, even when we don't feel like it. Faith is commitment that says, I want to follow you. You know, we talk about, for example, commitment to a certain life or sports or something like that, and we talk about 110% or 200% or whatever it is. You can't really give more than 100%, but people love to talk about that. And what they're really saying is, this person's really committed. That's faith. That's why it's not half-hearted. That's why it's not lukewarm. Because we are meant to be fully engaged. And there are so many people, when it comes to talking about faith, they have good intentions, but it's not faith. Faith is living into it with commitment, with passion. Faith is conviction and assurance. That's what comes by faith. When we really understand faith. Let me read to you again from Hebrews chapter 11, which we heard this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It no longer resides in the territory of hope because we have assurance because Jesus died for our sin on the cross out of love for us. And because he rose again, we have assurance. For the conviction of things not seen. You know, it's interesting what Jesus said about those of us that haven't seen like the apostles saw. Thomas, who was not in the upper room the first time Jesus appeared, but there a week later, and Jesus appeared, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see. And he saw, and he fell on his knees, and he said, my Lord and my God, I believe. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. Why? Because it comes by faith. Faith is a gift. And faith changes our life when we really understand it. And then we begin to see. We begin to see Him through His Word. We begin to see Him by the power of His Holy Spirit until we see Him face to face in heaven. We begin to see. 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love says, We see in a glass darkly but eventually we'll see face to face. As Jesus says in the Gospel reading, He wants people there. When the time comes, when judgment comes, He wants you there because He loves you. But the bottom line that God gives us is faith is a choice. It's your choice. But when you choose it, we're called to, and this is the third point, we live by faith. We live by faith. So many people live 
for so many things in this world. They live for something else oftentimes than living for the Lord. And we are called to live by faith, that faith impacts everything about our lives. That when we think of breath itself, the word for spirit, the Holy Spirit, is ruach, breath, wind. That He becomes our life. That when we think of food that feeds us, He's the bread of life. He's the living water. That when we truly understand what God's design of faith is, it becomes our life. So when we talk about the source of hope, any hope that we have in this life, that it comes by faith because we struggle and we want to live with hope. Whatever the struggle is, we want to live with hope. We want to live with love, and my love, in and of my own human nature and my humanness that's weak, runs out. But His love is infinite. So I need His love in my life. I need His strength. Because my strength runs out. And I become weak. And I don't always have the resolve that I need. But it's by His Spirit that we have that strength. Faith is the source of strength. Faith, faith is the source of love. Faith is the source of hope. Faith is meant to be our life. You know what's essential to faith? It's trust. And the question is, do you really trust Him? With the whole of your life? We trust so many different things in our culture. And we put our lives on the line. Do you ever really think about that? I talk about this in the new members class too. But think about how many things and people and situations and circumstances that you place your life in those hands. I thought about this when I was coming back from Tanzania. When I was finally flying into Savannah, I thought, wow. How many times on this trip was my life on the line? I had to trust the mechanics who worked on the plane. I had to trust the pilots who flew the plane. I had to trust the people that were responsible for me over in Tanzania. And believe me, I'm not always responsible, so I need people responsible for me. I needed my drivers. I needed to trust my drivers and the vehicles that I used over there. And that was really dicey sometimes. I'm telling you, some of the vehicles I rode in, they wouldn't work here. And one of the drivers that I had, I never had this driver before. I've had lots of drivers since I've been over in Tanzania, but driving me to the clergy conference on Monday, Tuesday, I had this guy by the name of James, Jims, as they say over there. I've never seen a driver like this. People say, I'm assertive? This guy's unbelievable. And I just said, okay, Lord, I'm in your hands. And I guess James must be your instrument. <laughs> But I had to put my life in his hands. When you drove here today, you trusted the people on the road. You trusted your car. You trusted the system that we use here. And you put your life in all those places. Your life was on the line. And we are talking about not just life, but life eternal. That you need to trust him for. 
Think about the people in your life that you rely on and trust. I love my wife Meredith, and I trust her. And it's nice to be able to say that, you know. I love my children. And now that they're in their 20s and all college graduates, I trust them. (laughs) Had to throw that in. I trust my staff when I'm away, for the most part. (laughs) You know, think of the people in your life that you trust and you entrust yourself to. I trust my friends, most of them. (laughs) And we rely on them. And they support us and undergird us. And if anyone is trustworthy, if anyone is faithful, if there's anyone who loves you and was willing to die for you, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you to live by faith. You know, the words that we have said already this morning, one Lord, one faith, one faith, one baptism. Do you really believe that? And we're about to go through a baptism. Little Blake's been in and out of here so far today. And there he is. He's back. (laughs) Listen to the words that we will be saying and talking about when it comes to faith. And the question is, is this just an intellectual exercise for you? Is this just something flipped, something you're half-hearted about? Is this something you're just going through the motions because you're supposed to be religious? Or is this an alive faith to you? Because you recognize the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you want to live by faith for now and for all eternity. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what it means to walk and live by faith. And I invite you, during this baptism that we go through, to say, yes, Lord, that's what I want for my life. No longer just a fact. No longer lukewarm or or half-hearted. But I want to live by faith and walk in love with you. Please bow with me in prayer. God, so often we hear in the culture and even in the church how flippantly people talk about faith and God and love. And yet, Lord, you call us to something that's far deeper than that. That you want us to experience that joy that peace, that love that only comes from you and by your Spirit. 
Lord, you want us to walk and live by faith. A faith that glorifies you and blesses others. A faith that reflects the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, your Son, who laid down his life out of love for you and love for us. Lord, give us such a faith. And as we say these words that we're about to say in this baptism, that they would be true for our lives and that we would live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.